0: one spags free agency might be winding down but we still have some interesting moves happening in the nfl yeah devontae parker going to the patriots
1: a rare interdivision trade going on so we're going to talk about the fantasy ramifications for both sides of that one we also got a little frank gore guessing game coming up here the ageless one is retiring can i guess all of his headshots or can you we'll find out in a little bit after this intro Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And once again, I am Chris Spaggs, joined by your friend of mine, Pete Oversett. Pete, how are you doing? And and really vivid 4K video right now for all the folks on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I've been uh, in the lab uh, working with my buddy Jordan to improve my uh, YouTube streaming setup, and I finally got uh, the camera. I have actually moved on from the webcam, although there is something that I am – uh, going to experiment with here. And I actually, I could try it right now. Here you go. Watch this. I could do a little of this, give you a little uh, alternate angle there if I want. So, yeah, well, we'll I got to get uh, more familiar with that. But, you know, we're, we're stepping things up here. The more peats the merrier. I hope <laughs> I that, yeah. it, I hope it doesn't. I, <laughs> I think it'd actually be good if it replaced, like, you know, it actually swapped, but just having both of them at the same time is is pretty disconcerting. Peter Overset from all angles your new one-hour set <laughs> <laughs> exclusively on
1: YouTube but make sure you are subscribed to Pete's channel as well as the Splash Play channel uh, next week looks like we'll have at least one of our first clips coming out uh, with a little USFL preview we'll be doing on this show that's going to be ported out but the point is we're going to be putting content on both Pete's channel with a live stream Splash Play channel with some of the live streams as well as the short form clips segments really from each show chopped up meant to kind of reach people with and really just give people a chance like you guys out there you can't watch a whole hour show hour and a half show you jump right to the stuff that matters so go subscribe to both channels get on board now and of course like the videos on both channels because it helps us out a bunch helps us beat that YouTube algorithm that is so important out there also make sure you're going over to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe lots of great patches over for FO plus but also on the homepage. Even if you don't want to subscribe check out the articles The guys are really grinding all offseason long even though the free agency portion of things has slowed down they're giving their best takes retroactive looks at things that popped out from last season Uh, looking forward as much as possible USFL previews are a little bit of something for everybody over at Football Outsiders. So go over to the homepage, go check it out. And if you want to subscribe at, at footballoutsiders.com subscribe, feel free to go do that right now. Uh, But Pete, let's talk about some of this NFL news because we do have one interesting move that did happen as we talked about in the intro. Devontae Parker traded to the Patriots. 2022 fifth round draft pick was also included with that in exchange for a 2023 third round pick. And I guess the first thing would feel like Devontae Parker, certainly a guy who's shown some upside in the past, feels like a low draft capital, but it is a spot, Pete, where I guess the Dolphins, the Patriots, got just enough to justify a move where, for a guy who really probably didn't fit in with the Cedric Wilson and Tyreek Hill acquisitions for the Dolphins
0: yeah it actually seemed uh like a like kind of a classic patriots move where you know they've historically been pretty good with those deep draft picks and kind of moving back adding assets and then just moving back a couple rounds in the draft so they they lose a two round difference right going from a third to a fifth and then they pick up you know Devonte parker so i guess you could i mean i i don't know the the implications you know inside now, but that seems like relatively fair to me for, uh, a Devonte Parker, that two round difference. I think once you get in that range of the draft anyways, especially if they project it to be a little bit later in the third round, then, you know, you're starting to get into real dart throw range there anyway. So yeah, I don't mind it for them. Um, it definitely signals the end of the Nikhil Harry experiment. He was the guy they drafted to, you know, be that big bodied wide receiver on the outside. So I think it fits in well um, with what they're doing. They've, they've showed that they can't properly scout wide receivers from, you know, a draft prospect. So at least identifying guys where you know what you're getting with Devontae Parker at this point in his career. And I think he fits in well with what they're trying to do. He's been a guy who's
1: been efficient enough with volume, has shown the ability to get downfield as well, even though you can kind of make the case in that Dolphins offense. Preston Williams really didn't get much different results, and he was certainly is a guy that's not being treated as a, anybody worth trading for, though he is coming back to the Dolphins, supposedly. We'll see if he makes it through training camp. But I'm with you. I feel like this is an upgrade for the Patriots. The one thing I would say, fantasy wise, like if you're drafting, and I feel like, you know, we've done a lot of drafts on this show, the Superflex Best Balls over at Underdog, where you use that promo code SPLASH as well. If you want to get your deposit doubled up to $100, go do that right now because we have a lot of fun doing those drafts. You don't see a lot of Patriots stacks going overall on the underdog best ball drafts. I'm sure the same for the other best ball leagues out there uh, that are being drafted right now. But I feel like really, you know, unless this offense changes materially, Pete, for the Patriots, it feels like having Devontae Parker in probably going to be a downgrade for Jacoby Myers in the middle of the field, going to be a downgrade for Kendrick Bourne, who wasn't running enough routes anyway last year to be sustainable. This year, you know, him coming back in, unless there's a big jump or a big shift around, like cutting a Nelson Aguilar or something like that, like it's tough to see him being a, a useful part as well. Same thing for Hunter Henry. Same thing for Johnny Smith. I feel like the Patriots seem like what they know, what they have in Mac Jones, and it seems like for the most part, um, barring a gigantic leap for him, it
0: feels like they're just going to run the ball and not have a ton of volume
1: going to any of these receivers.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was on the clock in one of my super flex drafts. I was saying if I could pull it up here. Uh yes, I found it where I had Mac Jones and you know Mac Jones has been a little tough to kind of stack with um in in this format and so you know his ADP Devonte Parker was sitting there at you know 204 this obviously hasn't updated yet since he was traded and I went ahead and took him there at pick 175 because I had already had you know Mac Jones on this team so I'm definitely comfortable with him in this round you know where I got him Um, In the 15th, is that where I got him? Uh, Yeah, in the 15th. So Kendrick Bourne, you know, goes a few picks before and uh, I'm perfectly happy to get Parker there. And my guess would be Parker, you know, ends up jumping a couple rounds and ends up settling around the same ADP as Jacoby Myers would just be about my guess. He does feel like a pretty clear
1: cut wide receiver one, especially because Jacoby Myers is mostly exclusively running out of the slot. So I think that's one a and one B or maybe one and two, depending upon how you feel about Jacoby Myers, Josh in the chat saying this has hurt Hunter Henry though, less touchdown upside. I feel like anybody that could actually catch passes in that offense is going to hurt just everybody else who was kind of left behind uh, simply because they don't want to throw the ball. And I think, you know, that Buffalo game certainly one that crystallized that. And it is a rookie Mac Jones, you know, the jump we talk about a lot in this show, the jump for really any skill position player year, one to year two year two to year three is going to be the biggest jumps they potentially have so if mac jones comes in they're willing to get closer to a 50 50 run pass split But last year you know definitely seemed like bill belichick is comfortable letting the defense do the work find it hard to believe they have lost some guys on that defense even though as we all know defenses matter that much but still losing talent maybe they have to rely a little more on the pass game But i just don't have the confidence there and i agree with what you're doing on underdog like yeah take Devontae parker he's probably undervalued as a you know go-to target potentially for mac jones what's it really worth to be a go-to target for Mac Jones? I don't really know. And I thought the tweets were kind of funny, Pete, as well, just to touch on them real fast. And Mac Jones tweeted, let's go. And then Devontae Parker replied, let's get it, big dog. (laughs) It's it's one of those replies you make where it's like, oh, cool. I'm going to this new job with a guy who, like, I don't know anything about. You got to make the best of it. So I got to respect Devontae Parker on that front. But you're Devontae Parker. You can't be that stoked heading in to have Mac Jones uh, throw you the ball around.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty good uh, dichotomy of the, you know, the second year quarterback who still has not been jaded. He's not sick of, you know, going to training camps and Devontae Parker's like, bud, I'm just going to cash another check. Just relax a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to not have to change divisions. He doesn't have to get confused in interviews. That's probably the main benefit for Devontae Parker. And for the Dolphins, Pete, feels like overall just one less body in the mix, one less guy who could grouse. And, and actually, you know, have a viable case to say, like, I should continue getting my 7 to 10 targets that he's been getting historically, you know, as a Dolphins pass catcher. But, you know, it is Tyree Kill in the mix. It's Cedric Wilson they paid a pretty big deal for. You still have Mike Kosicki there, maybe improving a little bit more. There's enough weapons for the Dolphins right now. And Chase Edmonds, we've talked about a lot on this show, a guy who can catch some passes. Raheem Mostert the backfield too, probably more of a traditional you know, through the tackles back with some speed but still a guy that could you know theoretically get a few check down passes here and there it just feels like overall you know like this move had to happen just to get Tyreek the the volume that he needs to be remotely useful
0: yeah and I feel like it it makes sense too in the ways what's the the phrase the draft nets use how does this guy win I mean Devonte Parker wins down the field you know contested Catches, you know, deep ball stuff, and they've basically retailed their offense around Tua, and they're like, we want to have all these quick hitters, you know, use Waddle and Tyree Kill underneath. We know Tua is really efficient in the short areas. They haven't really shown what he can do if he can even do it pushing the ball down the field. So to me, this makes sense. It's like they are they are tailing their offense around Tua's skill set, and then in that context, Parker becomes a little bit expendable, and not to mention they're kind of. Ushering in a bit of a youth movement as well, so I think it it, it all completely checks out that Parker was on the outs with uh, with this new look Dolphins team. No, it makes a lot of sense. Actually, that's not one way I didn't think about it. Tyreek certainly
1: a great deep ball guy, as we've seen in Kansas City, but also a guy that if you just give him the ball in space, he's going to be able to make long plays anyway. So it does kind of fit the ethos of what you think Mike McDaniel will bring based on that San Francisco offense we've seen the last few years. One other free-to-see item, Pete, which is not a big one at all, and I, I wouldn't even expect that you've even seen this one because I didn't see in the Fantasy Life newsletter that I, of course, check religiously in the hopes that we have got anything we could talk about <laughs> at all on this show. Marlon Mack signed with the Texans, and I think that's kind of interesting because here's a Here's a question for you, Pete. How old do you think Marlon Mack is?
0: Man, um my guess is you're setting me up to say he's much older than you think than he actually is. Like my guess would be he's like 27 and he's probably actually like 24.
1: He's actually 26, but just turned 26. So he was a hot off the press as 26. I thought okay. you'd be like, he's like 29 or 30, and you go, like, he's old, he's dusty. Yeah. He's not old and dusty. Like he's coming off an injury. He lost his job to Jonathan Taylor. I think that he's the kind of guy in best ball where you have these twenty round drafts now. And underdog, like I would take a flyer on Marlon Mack late there if you're going with a zero RB build, or you just feel bad about the backs that you have there because it seems to me like last year, like we saw Royce Freeman get carries, we saw Rex Burkhead, who is expected to be back this year, like he got a ton of work down the stretch. Um, David Johnson, we know, has been there with a really ugly contract that who knows, he definitely could be a cut you'd think in training camp, uh, depending how that cap works out. I feel like Marlon Mack, I wouldn't say, you know, a guy, Pete, that I have a ton of confidence in, but there's potential for him to be
0: sneaky in the way that you kind of need one back to be sneaky, at least, you know, for a week here and there in best ball. Yeah, uh, I don't, you know, is that the type of profile you normally want to invest in? A guy who doesn't catch passes, who's primarily dependent on touchdowns in what we expect to be one of the worst offenses of the league? No, but when you do look at kind of the roster there and I'm just did I miss what uh free uh Philip Lindsay hasn't been re-signed by them has he I don't think so no I don't think he has either so that's an interesting one to me because I I did think Philip Lindsay was their best pure rusher but if if they don't re-sign Lindsay and they were kind of making the choice to bring in Mac I mean then the depth chart behind him doesn't look bad at all you have you know perennial role player Rex Burkhead you have pass catcher Dari Ngumba Wale Royce Freeman profiles more as a pass catcher too so. I mean, he could be the main guy that's projecting for, I don't know, 10 to 13 carries a game in that offense. But if Philip Lindsay resigns, then it's such a mess that I don't even think uh, I will be dealing with it whatsoever. Also,
1: I think you're forgetting Philip Lindsay actually was on the Dolphins <laughs> at the end of last year. They had gotten rid of him in mid Oh, they did? Yeah. <laughs> then there you go. But Philip Lindsay's still a free agent, right? Because yes, he's not yeah, on the Dolphins. Yeah, he's a free agent,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's actually, he's 27 and he turns 28 in July, which feels wrong to me too. Yeah, and he was an old – because he was older coming out of Colorado. He was a yeah. four-year uh, guy. But, yeah, I I guess. Like, if this depth chart holds, um, Marlon Mack is vaguely interesting as a volume standpoint, but he, you know, perfectly falls into that category, too, of just don't, you know, draft him based on projected volume before the draft because could the Texans take – a young running back. I mean, you could probably argue that they should. um, And in which case, Marlon Mack uh, then becomes basically undraftable. If they use any draft capital whatsoever on a running back.
1: That's a good point. Certainly, uh, perhaps a Mike Davis effect potentially on Marlon Mack where you just hope that he gets that volume there. But do you do you have Rex Burkhead there? Uh, Sean in the chat saying Max ADP could push up. I think if it pushes up to like the 19th round, like I feel like I don't mind taking him there. If you're talking about, you know, 10 to 15th round, I think you're probably looking at not great value for Marlon Mack no matter what the situation. But I have a little more belief in the Texans just getting him uh, you know better by throwing their chips behind Davis Mills. And hopefully it seems like keeping Brandon Cooks because it doesn't seem like the trade market for him is that big so far. But We'll see how the draft date goes uh, coming up in a few weeks. And then Colin Kaepernick throwing for scouts in Ann Arbor will be the last news item we have to hit on before we get to the Frank Gore headshot guessing game. And Kaepernick now reportedly willing to accept a backup role. He told ESPN's Josina Anderson, uh, Pete, if you had to place odds on it, Colin Kaepernick ever getting a job in the NFL again, where would you put those
0: odds? Um, Man, it feels like we've had the same news story with him over and over where it's like, Oh, they're kicking the tires. They bring him in and then nothing Ever materializes, I guess I would set the odds at like unlikely, but not impossible. So I don't know, like plus 750.
1: I was like a plus 800. Okay. We're really getting your good Lock's to get on the death. same page yeah. with these odds. I think that's the one <laughs> thing the show has going for it, but I'm with you on that. It feels like a low probability chance at this point, even the Seahawks like Pete Carroll has talked glowingly to the press about as much as anybody about Colin Kaepernick. And now, you know, as we saw on our Friday show, uh, we are both big believers in drew lock. So why would you bring in anybody else? That's your starter. That's the guy you should be building around and letting throw every pass possible to both, uh, Tyler, both to Tyler Lockett, as well as to DK Metcalf. But it feels like if the Seahawks aren't going to bring in Kaepernick, even has like just a goosing interest in the team at a time where they're probably going to backslide here. I don't know where Kaepernick could go. And I feel like at this point, you know, it's probably better invest, young, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of draft capital, a younger talent. Uh, you know, it's one of the spots for Kaepernick. I really wish that he did have the job, but uh, as DFS Texas playing, he hasn't played since 2016. Now it's not looking great for Colin Kaepernick. And it, and it, bums me out, but like ultimately he got the payday. He's doing great social justice work. Like at the end of the day, um, his legacy could be something besides a football player, Pete. And I guess that's, that's gotta be a positive too. When we talk about it on this show.
0: Yeah. I mean it's you know, you start to worry that he's kind of in the, the Tebow territory where mm-hmm. there's not much actual football, you know, related things to talk about regarding him, but because he's such a lightning rod and because, you know, for a lack of better word, he brings in clicks and eyeballs and downloads to stories that, you know, the media keeps going back to that well. So I think you got to be a little careful. It's like you hear these stories and it's like, oh, is there actually, you know, a fire here where there's smoke? And it's like, well, they're probably like us, just trying to come up with things to talk uh, talk about and know that Kaepernick will elicit strong emotions
1: out of their viewers. You yeah, look I you know I very much uh, champion a lot of things as best I can you know I believe in a lot of what he did and I think it's great that he actually you know took the lumps to kind of put the messaging out there that he did even though it was really tough to do that and certainly not the most well-received message of maybe some of the timing and the social climate and all that stuff and I would like to see him get back you know be a backup get a chance to maybe start down the stretch and have you know that storybook ending at least a better ending than what he has for himself right now but it just seems unlikely at this point and you, you kind of got to feel like uh, if you're Colin Kaepernick I get he, what he's doing I Getty wants to keep putting himself out there but you got the settlement you got this other work you can do at a certain point, you just kind of got to call it quits on something. And I feel like that might be the case for this, but Pete, it is about time to talk about the Frank Gore headshot guessing game where Frank Gore turns 38 in May is going to sign a one day contract to retire as a Niner while also going into their front office reportedly in the personnel department. And I feel like it's worth touching on real fast. Frank Gore's numbers here. Cause he is kind of an interesting case, Pete, where uh, most consecutive seasons as a running back with over 500 yards rushing. He's got 16 of those most consecutive seasons with over 600 yards rushing. He's got 14 of those tied for the most consecutive seasons, with at least 700 yards rushing. That's 13 for him. He's the first player with 12 consecutive seasons with at least 1,200 yards from scrimmage. Most seasons with 1,200 yards from scrimmage overall with 12 of those. Tied for the most consecutive seasons with at least five touchdowns, 11 of those. He's one of five running backs ever with at least nine 1,000-yard rushing seasons and one of four running backs ever with 15,000 career rushing yards. Some noteworthy things, Pete, but he's very much a guy that was just a volume back, a dude that um, really the durability, the longevity was the main thing for him. Uh, Before we get into the headshot, guessing game of course the ageless frank Gore. Do you have any takes on him and where he stands kind of in the historical fantasy slash real life football uh overview of time
0: yeah i just think it's insane how he was able to hold up it's almost even one thing if he had this super long career but was like in and out you know missing a season because of injury but just you know he had that stretch from 2011 to 2016 where he didn't miss a game we're talking about the most physically unforgiving position in the NFL. And I know we're all like, holy cow, Tom Brady keeps playing. But the amount of wear and tear in the hits that Tom Brady has taken over his career compared to Frank Gore, it's it's laughably different. Like, it's just nowhere in the same realm. And so for his body to hold up like this is just incredible. I, I, I'm trying to, you know, you don't want to be too hyperbolic, but thinking through like great feats of human accomplishment in Frank Gore, having this long of a career at the running back position, I feel safe to say we will never see that ever again. Like, the, and that's with evolution happening and guys getting bigger and faster and stronger and modern medicine and better helmets. Like I still don't think we will ever see someone at the running back position, have this long and successful of a career.
1: Yeah, I think based on the way the NFL just treats running backs overall, it seems unlikely. It's worth pointing out, Football Outsiders actually last year, I think, did an article talking about the Hall of Fame debate around Frank Gore. He only cracked their top 10 rushing DVOA once in 2012. It was top 10 in defensive yards above replacement three times, uh, 2006, 2012, 2014. So really, you're looking at a guy where the main skill was that availability, was what Pete's talking about, just being able to do it year after year. That's something I tend to believe a little bit more, like a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. I know we are on this show is really a fantasy community. Overall, I think we all talk about Tony Pollard's more and go like, yeah, he's more efficient. He looks better. He's got more burst and really everything you would look at. It does tend to favor that other back. But sometimes there is a skill in just you know, being able to handle volume and stay out there on the field. And I feel like that's where Frank Gore really does excel. Um, so you know, got to give him kudos. But ultimately, just one of those guys that was a lot of right time, right place, and certainly some fond fantasy memories, I'm sure, if you ever rostered him in his younger days. But Pete, do you want to introduce the headshot guessing game here, where Pete did a lot of legwork getting this one ready to make me look like an asshole, because there's no way I'm going to get probably any of these right.
0: Yeah, the problem is, is, so what I did is I went through frank gore's career and grabbed headshots and photos throughout it and i did a good job cropping the photos to make sure you couldn't see like oh this is a jersey he's clearly on the bills in this one however this was a naming convention disaster by me because i was trying to avoid naming the files in a way that spags could kind of identify or if i had the numbers in correct order so right now i am You probably see me look slightly distracted as we've been talking and I've been trying to like rename things in a way that you can't realize, but also then I actually know the correct date. I'm like 75% of the way there. And so we're just going to yellow it and uh, and get these up on the screen. But my thought was I have like seven or eight photos and I was going to have you order them from youngest to oldest. And then assuming I can actually figure out the correct answers, I can reveal that. All right, so we'll see here. Of course, Frank Gore uh, did go from
1: 2005 until 2020, so we're gonna have a pretty broad swath of Frank Gore here. And uh, Pete, I guess if you want to hit me with the first headshot, I'm ready to dive in.
0: Yeah, so let me get this uh, this screen share up here, and uh, these are a mix, I would say, of you know actual headshots. Um, there's one from an award ceremony. There is one from games, from practices. So these kind of run the gamut to hopefully keep you on your toes here a bit we'll get to the shared screen let's start uh with this one right here we have kind of a a, almost a a grimacing uh frank gore here and i'm obviously going to go through and show you all of these but do you want to take like a first stab on maybe like the the general year that you think this one might be from Okay, so so I'll I'll just explain my thought process here. So I'm seeing a little bit of blue
1: on him, which does make me think that could be his Buffalo year. He also seems to be a little bit on the older side. And that said, the blue does not necessarily could just be a practice shirt, could be you know a team uniform or something, or even just a jersey that has a weird color for some reason, or maybe Pete really went above and beyond and colored in part of his neck. I don't know, <laughs> but I will guess Pete that this is in fact his 2019
0: season. Okay. We will. Uh, I won't tip anything off now because I do want you to kind of organize these. But let's go to this one. This is obviously uh, more of a true uh, headshot here, as if you would see on his uh, his ESPN page.
1: So we talked about when he was pretty locked in and in that 2012 year is the one that football outsiders talked about where he really popped out in a meaningful way. I feel like you look into this man's eyes right now. You all see less of that, you know, the kind of frown line that we saw in the other photo. So that means to me a younger Frank Gore, a nicely hydrated Frank Gore. I think this is when he started to get the peak of his power. So I'll say this is 2012
0: Frank Gore. Okay, 20. We have a guest for 2012 Frank Gore here. Um, let's head. This is another headshot here just your standard uh headshot but definitely from a different year than this one if you are able to distinguish between those two. And I mean, the difference here could just be him using a different moisturizer across the span of 10 years. Like that's that's what we're dealing with right now. Or a more generous photographer who's like, I'll Photoshop a little bit, <laughs> yeah. clean them
1: up a little bit, make him look good. Yeah. I think I will take this at face value and feel like, again, he looks a little bit less sure of himself. You could see the eyes looking a little bit sadder. So I think <laughs> this is probably him a little
0: bit younger. I'll go, this is his 2009 headshot okay, we got 2009 here. Uh, let's head over to this one. This is from an awards you know thing which maybe that's giving away a little too much mm-hmm. information but uh, I wanted to mix up the uh, the type of photos in here so we see him outside of you know an ESPN mugshot.
1: So here, and uh, I think based on that big grin, based on the award ceremony, again, we could see the frown line here not quite as burrowed. Uh, I think he looks bright eyed, youthful. I think this is after his 1,700 yard year in 2006. So I'll say it's 2006, maybe 2007, but I'll I'll go 2006. Okay. All right. We
0: got a 2006 here. Um, You're going to have to remember what your guesses are so that I can actually order them. But I'll I'll let you kind of reset. Like once you see them all, if you're, you know, exact thing. Um, all right, here's another headshot here. Okay. So that screams
1: to me, I'm almost on the way out of San Francisco. I'm unhappy. The the frown line still not there. So he can't be that old. I think this has got to be around when he turned 30 would be my thought. So again, guy who hydrates her well. I can't tell you guys enough. The importance of hydrating to keep youthful skin. People often ask me, Hey Spags, how are you so young looking? And I say, drank 120 ounces of this already. My friend, uh, Frank Gore, I think well hydrated in 2003. 2014 before he ends up going to Indianapolis. Okay. I just want to say
0: already, this game is going exactly as I hoped would. And oh, uh, extremely are, poorly for me. Yeah, you're you're all over the map. Um, here's another, like, you know, me having to do the crop correctly so you can't uh, see the jersey here, but here's another, uh, this is a practice shot uh, of Frank Gore.
1: So you're starting to see some whites develop in the hair, which does happen, of course, as we get older. Uh, I would say also looks like he's working hard in the sun. And to me, that feels like
0: a Miami year. So I'm going to go 2018. All right. We got a a more contemporary guess here, 2018. Um, All right. Here's another. We do get another smiling Frank Gore. Obviously, uh, not a lot of photos of him smiling. So this is a, a rare occurrence here. So the issue here is the teeth look like he
1: had a poor hygiene stretch. Perhaps that feels like it's reflecting getting older, but now uh, may, or maybe, but he's still smiling. So it can't be his jets here. <laughs> you would think. Uh, so I will go perhaps this is the tail end of his Indianapolis run. I'll say this is his 2017 uh, last year with the Colts. Okay. We got
0: a 2017 here. Um, Let's go. We got two more here. Another smiling one. Maybe we were giving uh not giving him the benefit of the doubt for being uh, all smiles here.
1: Man, see, now this looks like, I mean, again, based on the neck roll there, this does kind of look like a Buffalo uniform, but I'm not confident enough to go with that. But, you know, maybe maybe this is a thing where Pete threw me a little trickster, uh, as, of course, as Pete sometimes does, or as I like to do to Pete on this show.
0: So let's say this is actually also his 2019 Buffalo season. Okay, we're getting double dip here. See if I can throw you for the loop. And uh, here's the final one here. This is obviously uh, another headshot here.
1: Okay, so again, frown line less prominent, but also I think that at this point, Frank Gore has made a lot of money. Certainly he's got, you know, influencer culture beautifying us all. But also the stoic face, there is no joy to be seen in this man's face. Just a pro clocking in, punching that clock, hitting the lunch pail. Frank Gore, this is his
0: 2020 Jets season. Okay, all right. Now I do think if I remember correctly, you did get, I think you only got one right on the nose um do you want me to tell you which one that is or do you want to take a stab at now ordering these oh no i let's let's just go (laughs) i guess we
1: have enough time where i guess we could um no ordering them seems too tough to jump back to back though but i'll guess which one that i got correctly i think that it was the buffalo one where he had like the
0: white kind of neck roll you know what it's this one that you got correctly this is his shot from the 2020 jets the the most recent one here Okay, so that look again, I could see that he's taken better care of himself. Again, this looks like a man, like an older
1: gentleman who has the resources to look beautiful, and I think, but not but not the situation to be happy. So
0: that's two things that come together, both positively and negatively for Frank Gore. And now I will show you, um, the, the thing that inspired this segment was, um, these two photos. So this photo is from his first year, 2005 with the 49ers. So, you know, to do our full comparison here, we have actually, I have one with, with both comparisons that you could see of why (laughs) this is just so incredible that over the course of 15 years, you know, basically nothing's changed. I guess a little less defined of a jawline there mm-hmm. in his in his later years, but otherwise, I mean, pretty tough to tell the difference.
1: So here's the thing: Do you think that his head was fatter in 2005 because he's also you know, he's got a little bit more of the chubby cheeks, the youthful uh, appearance there, or is it that because he's been playing so much football that his head is actually compressed slightly from the helmet and possible concussions he's been suffering every year? I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna comment on that. <laughs> just just <to start> throw <laughs> it out there for everybody else i think
0: so. uh you know what what would the kids say check out this glow up for frank gore <laughs> just the same photo um,
1: all right so what what else which one am i the furthest off on would be the question i would have. yeah so this one what did you say this one was i thought that would be um toward i think that i thought it was this
0: buffalo year from buffalo so you did catch the blue which uh that was a little you know slip by me but this is actually 2015 colts
1: Era, oh,
0: oh, Uh, I have thought about
1: that. Yeah, similar shades of blue. So that was me getting a little too quick for myself, but I honestly, I don't think I would have gotten that either way.
0: Yeah, and then let me find the actual Bills one here. It was another one of the headshots. Um, not that one, not that one. All right, here is the Bills. I'm curious about. So this is the Bills one there for Frank Gore from 2019. Uh, sorry, that one.
1: Okay, yeah,
0: that checks out. And then the award one was from 2017. He accepted uh, the Rooney Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award. That's 2017. Oh, how did that not come to
1: mind right away for me? Of course, the Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award, one that I personally put on my calendar every year. <laughs> um, he does look great there. I honestly thought that was going to be like NFL honors when he had his, that big campaign, but I, I guess that checks out. And again, great suit on Frank. you can see the glow up happening right before our eyes
0: yeah and dfs texas points out something i stumbled upon when i was trying to pull together headshots throughout the career because i found one that said the eagles and i'm sitting here looking at his you know splits and his stats and trying to find the photos like where's one from the eagles and then uh as dfs texas says he was on the eagles for like two hours and pulled out antonio brown to buffalo style apparently
1: yeah all right so there we go any other ones that i was particularly egregiously wrong on
0: yeah so then there are a couple just from his uh earlier uh San Francisco years let me see here um you know this one is t- 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 uh now I have too many tabs open to where this is just like a disaster. <laughs> it's almost this, a game within itself.
1: Like we thought like, oh, how are we going to do this bit? Because we both can't play the game, obviously. And in fact, the game was
0: just Pete having to organize this while I had to actually guess. It's honestly embarrassing how much I fumbled the organization on this. But this was a 2007 uh, Frank Gore. Oh, wow. And I think you can kind of see the youth uh, in that one. I mean, he's not smiling like that these days that is a very joyous smile. Like that's the, and again, that would make sense too. Cause that would be
1: around the time frame that he was running for 1700 yards. So like peak of his powers, peak of his confidence. I think that checks out.
0: Yeah. And then, um, did we, another one of the headshots was his dolphins headshot. Yes. This one was the dolphins headshot there from, mm-hmm. uh, from 2018. Um, and again, like if I were to have just done this game by headshots, I think it would have been almost impossible because at least with some of them where he's moving or whatever, you get to see a different side of him. But like the straight odd Frank Gore headshot is truly a timeless artifact. Here's the question now, but because
1: now that we're putting this all together, do we think Frank Gore maybe got a little Botox, got that little, got that line straightened out.
0: <laughs> he does not strike me as someone who would get Botox. Uh, but who knows? I could be wrong. Uh, this is a fun suggestion here from, uh our guy ff doom he wants a side-by-side neck comparison with davis mills i can do this for you one sec all right here's frank gore and there (laughs) is davis mills so from there to there i mean it it literally has to be like like double the radius of a davis mills neck (laughs) frank gore with a real chode neck (laughs) for Uh, sure a little short little thick (laughs) of course when who's you, the other one Mike Glennon is the guy guy with the super uh skinny neck too right
1: yeah he's got the the toys toys R us giraffe kind of neck going
0: yeah I mean let's see here I mean yeah so yeah. Frank Gore two necks uh <laughs> when he uh when he eats it's for two necks so uh congratulations to Frank Gore on a truly incredible career even some people in the chat were just wondering if they missed news about him re-signing with another team and will anyone be shocked if in September, Frank Gore is like, yeah, you know, I had to change of heart. I'm bored. And uh, I want to be the Houston Texans starting running back.
1: Well, he is in the Niners front office now, as we talked about there, because I think some people are confused by me saying he signed with the Niners, he signed a one day deal. But like, what if, you know, let's say Trey Sermon injured again, Elijah Mitchell uh, <laughs> injured again, Frank Gore called out of the personnel department to come in behind that Niners offense though. Like he's
0: probably getting you 900 yards if you gave him enough runway. Yeah. I mean, Adrian Peterson has been, was kind of, um, you know, he obviously had, you know, higher highs as, uh, as far as his, you know, per season rushing numbers, lower lows (laughs) and lower (laughs) lows. Um, but you know, it was almost like, it's like whack-a-mole with those guys. It's like right when you think Adrian Peterson's done, he pops up on another team and his rush in their leading rusher. Um, it does feel weird to say goodbye to Frank Gore. And, uh, I'll be curious to see, uh, what he does with his time for someone who, it seems like couldn't fathom doing anything else other than playing football. I assume that that's going to be a tough transition for him.
1: Yeah, So shout out to Frank Gore and uh, hopefully he has some success uh, breeding new running backs for the San Francisco offense that I'm sure is in desperate need of them with their seven deep rotation that they have that they could deploy at any moment. And Bolick here also p- implying that, uh, you know, Pete here saying new camera we showed in the beginning part of the show saying you're looking good. Perhaps Pete also hitting that Frank Gore Botox. <laughs> yeah. Botox for bros. Frank Gore's first line of, of medical. Yeah.
0: Now you can see every one of my, my blemishes and imperfections. I did think I had a little bit of a zit here above my and. So so yeah, this camera's not too forgiving. I gotta up my uh, my routine there. So. I gotta respect that because I go the other way. We're actually slather vaseline on the camera like Diane Sawyer back in the
1: yeah. day to, to just look a little bit better for camera. A shot in hell of being on TV at some point. Uh, but Pete, I think your camera looks great, and you and Frank Gore, ageless wonders. I would
0: say. <laughs> yeah, please. I although how, how wait, how old is Frank Gore? Uh, Frank Gore is thirty-eight now. Okay. That is, that's honestly incredible that Frank Gore is, uh, yeah, he's about to turn 39 in May. I'm turning 35 in June. So just just four years separating me and Frank Gore in age. Yeah. Frank Gore is a year older than me.
1: So I would say that, uh, you know, I think we both hold youthful standards to ourselves. And I think that's where uh, I, and again, I have less concussions and my head shape has mostly retained its form. So I think that's where one one category, Pete, that I can outclass Frank Gore. Yes, and that and that is it. Otherwise, we are going to remain Firmly outclassed by Frank Gore. (laughs) All right. So we got about 20 minutes left in the show. We might take a little bit less here, but the USFL starting up next weekend. So we promised on this show, we are going to be there for the USFL. We've talked about some of the accounts out there. They're doing a great job tracking it. Cody main, the director of niche sports over at ETR, our friend. I think we should try to get back on next week. uh, Once he does a little more info digging for himself, Justin Freeman over at run the Sims, also doing a great job putting some stuff together. The optimizer I know is ready to go for the USFL. Brian Knowles over at football outsiders has been going team by team team previewing these with precious little information so make sure to go check out the ramblings tab over at football outsiders if you want to catch up on his previews but pete the usfl is coming up and we talked about it before the show without salaries i don't really know even what we can hit on at this point besides the rule changes besides some players to watch perhaps based on the depth charts that we know of rumor mongering out there but where are you with the usfl because i know tomorrow you said you're putting out some of your usfl previews with a little more depth for everybody out there
0: yeah, I got a I got a bunch to to get together on that. But I'm I guess I should also mention here I'm gonna be uh, spinning up a new YouTube channel for non livestream content. So this will remain your home for all of the live streams. Uh, but wanted something for uh, videos that let's just say I spend a little bit more time on working with an editor. And so the first one I took a crack at was a DFS embedding preview for the USFL. And so, yeah, you can keep an eye out for that either tomorrow, maybe Wednesday at the latest, but like you said, it was actually hard to put that together because you can read between the lines. There's some, you know, you can look at coaching tendencies. You can look at how some of these players performed in other leagues, but we truly don't know until these guys hit the field. And I know with the XFL, I mean, the betting lines change dramatically just after a week or two, because everyone right now the Michigan Panthers have the shortest odds. And I think they literally gave them that just because they had the 101 pick and took Shea Patterson. But it's like, is Shea Patterson better than Jordan Tiamo? I, I don't necessarily think so, but like, we won't know until we see how these teams function. And that's what makes this such the wild West. And, you know, we're going to see that. Like you said, we don't have salaries yet. I remember with the XFL, it was like, Sammy Coates, right. Was the one mm. super familiar name to everyone. They gave him like a $9,000 salary and then he did nothing for the rest of the league. So there's going to be so much reshuffling based on, you know, whatever our preconceived notions are, or however you want to handicap it. And I, I almost feel like the first week, I mean, within reason should almost be like how they do the pro bowl. Right. And everyone just has the same salary, or at least the position groups have the same salary, because I, I don't really know. Um, how we're gonna have uh, you know much knowledge beyond that? Yeah, and I remember one thing too where I
1: don't think there are any lines besides the futures lines that we talked about for the USFL and Pete referenced there where it is the Michigan Panthers coached by Jeff Fisher, number one team uh, overall or according to the futures odds there. We'll see how that actually bears out on the field. But I remember with the XFL, the one thing that really stood out was there were lines that were like 57, 58 because they thought the way the XFL was going to play was going to be so much better. And the unders hit like exponentially where it was like 45 points for most of these. The second week, I think you saw the lines start to come down where it was like high 40s. The third week you were seeing lines in the actual 40 range i think even the the new york team that was really bad with matt mcloin also had some like in the 30s (laughs) that were not great so or high 30s to be clear uh but it's not looking like there's just enough information out there to do the normal process we would do for DFS. So that's something to keep in mind. And, and Pete, at, do you have any sources who've told you, by the way, because I I've talked in the show, like I've had some meetings with the USFL for my day job with champion gaming, and I don't want to divulge too much, but it seems like there's a lot kind of going on behind the scenes there last minute, trying to get things where they needed to be. Are you hearing anything from your DFS friends out there? Like when we might actually see some USFL data coming out on DraftKings or FanDuel or anywhere.
0: Yeah, I have, I have no idea how close to the wire that they're going to wait. I mean, normally DraftKings does a pretty good job about getting contests up in advance. Um, uh, I'm, I know we had lots of roster reshuffling last week, so maybe they're waiting for kind of final lineups to be submitted. If I was a true USFL thought leader, I probably would know that date when they have to firm up their active rosters. But yeah, my just hunch would be that we get these contests up you know, early next week um, would just be my guess Monday or Tuesday. So I think we're going to probably learn a lot more coming up. There was also the most recent news item I heard is that they are working in conjunction with Fox sports to produce a 13 episode documentary Mm -hmm. that's going to air alongside the season. I mean, in a perfect world, they would have been shooting at practices and mini camps and got it out a little bit in advance, I think, to like build hype. Um, But we're going to get, you know, an episode uh, a week, it sounds like, in conjunction with the season. So, I mean, as someone who I'm now almost done with season two of F1, uh, you know, Drive to Survive on Netflix. And it is insane how powerful that marketing is, where the storytelling is so good. And it's so good that I don't even think I actually have that much interest in watching live F1 races because just the storytelling and how well they do at crafting narratives around these races is just really well done. And if, if this Fox sports documentary for USFL can be, I'll say even half as good as the F1, it will be a massive marketing win for them. And we talked about that in our last show where when we were discussing the F1 and
1: its rise that we thought the USFL should be doing it. So it's good to see that they are great minds thinking alike over there. And look, I I agree with you, like getting some information out in advance. I think the only information source that is like a real connective through line is RJ Young's podcast for Fox Sports. (laughs) where He's interviewing all the coaches. And honestly, if you have the time, like if you really want to be serious about this, I would listen to every single one of those because there seem like there's more than enough tidbits to kind of surface and dig out of. Yeah.
0: I included a couple of those tidbits from his podcast in my video, you know, a couple uh, coaches who are basically more or less saying we are going to run the damn ball. Uh, so yeah, we could, you could start to get a little inkling of, you know, which teams might want to play which way. On the other hand, it's also hard. It's like most of these teams are going to want to run the ball because mm-hmm. quarterback play is such an issue. And I think most of these coaches ultimately end up getting frustrated with the capabilities of their quarterback and result to a run heavy plan at, you know, just by default. So it is really hard to know um, right now without seeing one week of play, but I I can't wait to at least uh, build some lineups and, and see where the chips fall. I do think that there's one quarterback or when we
1: get to the players to watch portion of things that stands out to me as a guy who actually will be slinging the ball around. And I think there's two you could probably point to, but we'll, let's get to that after we talk about some of the rules changes um, and let's hit them. And you know, if you've heard of these before, we apologize, but we're trying to do the best we can to kind of establish a foundation of knowledge for the people out there who just don't want to do any prep work. And, I, and God damn it if I don't respect that. So we're going to do the best we can to help get them the Cliff Notes version of things. Rules changes. After scoring, teams get the option of attempting a one-point kick from the 15-yard line, a two-point scrimmage play from the two-yard line or a three-point scrimmage play from the 10-yard line Um interesting kind of wrinkle there, Pete, where it's xfl not full XFL rules on that one where you still can kick the ball. But it's a spot where you can make a, a two-point game or two-score game, rather. 18 points would be that instead of the NFL's version of things, where 16 points is your your best chance for a two-score game. But this spot, I, I feel like this is one thing which certainly is going to throw the the sportsbook algorithms into a tizzy, which, again, a thing that I heard during our meetings is one thing holding back some of the data coming out there. The sportsbooks didn't know how to properly price things because of some of the changes. But do you, are you a fan overall these kind of uh esoteric slash uh maybe too many options for what you can do after a touchdown conversion
0: yeah i guess that that stuff isn't is interesting to me it feels like sorry are you talking about overtime rules or after extra Uh, just just the extra point yeah you know i I, to me it seems like just get rid of um any kicking and then just have like just have it be a standardized two-point you know, Mm -hmm. conversion where you have to run a play to me, that's all you're really trying to accomplish is just avoiding the boring kicks. I do like how they have um, the ability. If you want to retain possession, obviously, and, the NFL it's just an onside kick is your only option but they have the ability to run a play that's essentially a fourth and 12 play from your own 33 yard line if you complete the fourth and 12 you just get to continue on with the ball so anything that's pushing these guys to be more aggressive I think is better but even in the XFL I mean I don't know if you remember this like I do but it seems like even with these excuses to be more aggressive to go for two and three pointers to go for it after scoring a touchdown, these guys will still kick. They'll mm-hmm. still punt it off. It's just like sometimes these coaches have this old school safe mentality so ingrained in them that they can't shake it even when the rules in the GTO is begging them to do so.
1: Yeah, and I know with our research over at Edge Sports and Football Outsiders, we, you know, we have the first simulation model for the NFL that's ever existed. And it also accounts for some of the various other wrinkles that other models might not account for. Like you probably want to go for it more often than not. And that's sort of the issue with coaches kicking and why Brandon Staley was so exalted for the analytics guys out there. Like you want to go for it more often than not. Pete, I actually have a pitch for you, and this wasn't part of the idea. What if instead of – so, like, let's say they have to go for it. They can't kick for the extra point. But instead of, like, it being, oh, you bump back to the 10-yard line for a three-pointer, what if there were just areas on the field, like a, like a rock and jock kind of thing or in the end zone, where if you get into that part of the end zone, then you get three points instead? I think that would be a lot more fun, probably a little too deviation – too much of a deviation from traditional football. But that's the kind of thoughts I'd like to see.
0: Yeah. And I think our hope for that stuff is probably way more XFL where they are willing to be a little bit more edgy where you can kind of tell USFL is like, all right, we learned a little bit from the XFL. We saw what stuff got you guys excited, but we still uh, want to be this, you know, you know, very familiar version of football in a classic version of football. So I don't think the USFL is going to be where we see them really push new ideas and on the frontier of, of rural changes. I think they're going to end up playing it pretty, pretty tight to the vest. And I'll keep saying fan control football. Where are you at? Where are you guys? Where are we making
1: the rock and jock version of this? That's what I'm wondering, but uh, maybe we'll find out when their stuff gets going as well. Um, Once the team has declared their choice, they can't change their extra point option. And also if a touchdown is scored by either team, they would get the points for it. So if they get picked off and you're going for a three pointer, that team can return it for a three pointer of their own onside kicks come from the 25 yard line. This one's kind of interesting, Pete. So instead of, onside kicking normally you can also run a fourth and 12 play from your own 33 yard line if your team gets the first down and keeps the ball if it fails the defense gets the ball that's like gambling built into the game itself I don't know any coach that would ever go for that but I do like that it exists
0: yeah I mean obviously depending on you know those end of game situations where you're otherwise forced to do an onside kick I mean I would say the probability of converting a fourth and 12 is is much greater than the probability of you know, completing an onside kick. Although maybe the data shows otherwise, I would just assume that would be easier, at least for NFL teams. I think once you factor in the quality of quarterback play and how much these teams like to run the ball and a defense, knowing that they can basically create a shell of a wall, you know, right at the, at the 12 yard line, maybe it is, you know, much, much harder there. So I I like having that. Uh, If anything, I would like if it was even a little bit easier to basically bait them into it, maybe if it's a fourth and seven and just be like, we are begging you to go for it at all times. And then that is a win-win because even if they don't get it, now the other team has a short field, which would theoretically result in more scoring, which is ultimately as fantasy players, what we want, right? We just want as many scorers as possible.
1: Yeah, and you're also just generating one play that's high action, which you know an onside kick can be. I know some of the data that we have too suggests that, it, like if you had a fifty percent chance or a player who could give you a fifty percent chance at an onside kick every time, that guy would be the most valuable player in the league. I think it's probably the same philosophy there. Uh, GM shorty stuff. Why does a new league pay for kicking? Have to pay all those players for special teams so we can scream at the TV for not going for it actually a pretty valid point there, both from a budgetary standpoint and a football enjoyment standpoint. Uh, would you support Pete? And you know, we just saw Pat McAfee at WrestleMania yesterday, have a great showing. I don't want to speak ill of the kickers and my old, my old pal, Pat, who uh, one day I'll call in that favor, get him on splash play. But I feel like that is something that would make a lot of sense. I would just feel bad for the kickers losing those jobs.
0: Right? Yeah. It's uh it's one of those tough things. Um, I, I, we should just pull up a little bit of the cliffs because i'm not like a wrestling guy you're you're far more into uh wrestling and wrestling history than me but like mcafee is he's just electric with this stuff <laughs> yes. it's it's honestly absurd how good this was like it made me want to watch some more
1: wrestling i mean he is the most he was honestly one of the most over guys of the entire weekend in terms of crowd reaction he came out to seven nation army um and like the cold crowds doing the oh oh because oh, oh, like Hey, just a brilliant move by Pat in the That's first place. He said, Pat pouring beer into his face. Hopefully, we don't get copyright struck like we did last time. We tried to review yeah. WWE clips. Uh, but if for anybody out there, Pete, not a wrestling fan, uh, it's worth watching that Pat McAfee match, even though they had him then lose to an 80-year-old Vince McMahon and like a really, he should not have been doing anything, would be the first part of it. Uh, but Saturday show was really good. It was a fun one. And if for any wrestling fans out there, Cody Rhodes' debut is one of the best things I think I've seen hey. WWE do in years.
0: Hey, God, I found the clip that I actually wanted to wanted to play
1: which one is this one he's selling (laughs) did you watch this live yeah uh, oh i watched it so the mcafee match i fell asleep during because we've been trying to put luca to bed at 10 because i just also cannot stay up yeah look at the hot (laughs) and you can tell too like that's where the art of pro wrestling comes in is like his opponent there austin theory kind of helps him up like to make sure that he's stable um, which is the give and take of the stuff. Or like having those hops at all, like that's a serious box jump by Pat. Ah, uh,
0: it's so good. Yeah, that's. Yeah, a, that's I good. mean, it, it's. It's just it's crazy because you know how many times do we see you know celebrities because they're successful that you know what it'd be like uh oh you get signed to a a 10-day contract with the yankees billy bill crystal you know to to go and do your photo shoot but he's legitimately good at this Mm -hmm. you know this is like you know wish fulfillment for him i want to be and it's like no you actually could be in this because you fit the profile and have the talent uh to do it so yeah incredible by pat McAfee
1: one limitation is that he's not like jack to the gills so vince wouldn't treat him like a real wrestler but if yeah. you like put on 15 pounds of muscle and they actually treated that seriously ff doom a callback there the last time we did this they literally did kill our stream mid show so wwe please play nice for us this one time we're trying to promote trying to uh really give us the splash play bumps at wrestlemania
0: yeah they'll, they'll surely uh demonetize it with but whatever but yeah the last time we did it i think it was because we were watching Mm-hmm. On YouTube. And so their flag algorithm for that must be so strong that they just shut it down in real time. I'm just guessing that their algo isn't quite as good to shut down a, a version from Twitter, but they'll, they'll come for us. They'll be knocking at my door here. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, honestly, I, that's funny because like on the back end of the splash play account, we that copyright strike is still there. Like it's still like a warning that pops up every time. Like they're like, just in case you forget it. Yeah, I know it was a year ago, but uh, play on the right side of law. Anyway, back to the USFL. Um, other rules that are going to be important here. Overtime is a shootout. Each team alternates one play possessions from the two yard line. Each team gets up to three plays. The team that scores the most points wins. If team A scores in the first two plays and team B doesn't score, they get four nothing. The game is over. And if the game remains tied after each team runs three plays, Overtime continues under sudden death. Again, goes in service of what we talked about, where they're trying to do the best they can to make these action-oriented plays. Pete and I, I feel like in this spot, I would genuinely be excited for a USFL overtime, where even if I weren't watching the game, and I think for the sake of the show, I plan on watching every single game, every single second of every game. In fact, um, just to make sure that we are as completionist as possible. But I feel like Pete, the overtime rules even if you're not watching the game, I would turn on that overtime just for the end of the USFL style shootout. And also the fact that, you know, hopefully they're not running a shitload of commercials in between. That would be the one hope.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I almost feel like, would you, because the, the games will be staggered. I mean, that's good for showdown, but if you could just have it however you want, you know, they have the four to five games a weekend. Wouldn't you just want them all kicking off at, you know, 1 PM Eastern on Sunday and having a USFL red zone channel. Wouldn't that just be optimal? Then we would get to play classic slate DFS. It'd be like set to a confined time. I I don't know. I think that's, if I could just choose, I think that's how I would do
1: it. I think the issue is like the goal of this is to create new inventory that wasn't there. So for them that wouldn't open up a new enough new inventory. And I'm not saying this, this is not something I know from the meetings. I just know from how the media landscape is right now, like that they basically wanted to create four valuable pieces of real estate every weekend. And instead of like, you know, then you're creating one valuable piece of real estate. That's getting cut up a little bit more. Fox and NBC are just so hard up for it that there was no other way to do it. I would agree though, that like doing, you know, four games on one day would be the move. Like, To me, you start at 10 a.m. East Coast time or whatever, or maybe a more reasonable hour to get the West Coast people involved too. And then you go one by one, have the games go throughout that. So you can get your DFS and you have people locked in for a day. I think you're getting a little greedy pushing it for Friday to Sunday. And that's sort of the issue that I would see is you just got to get in one day and you'll get more likely to have people engaged for that entire day.
0: Yeah, and it'll be be interesting too, because I, I don't know about for you, but my DFS process for a classic slate is way different and demanding than for a showdown slate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I can just come and go with showdown slates. You know, you use the Sims, make my lineups kind of pretty easy. But a classic slate, it takes work. It stays taking up on the news. You want to be really up to, I mean, you do for a showdown slate too, but it's just like one event, one set of inactives. So I don't know, I'm torn because classic slates are more fun to build lineups for, but showdown slates require less of a time investment and in the spring, and then when we even get into the summer, I'm probably not going to be wanting to spend, you know, on a, you know, warm June, you know, Sunday afternoon, like at my computer for four hours. Um, so I don't know. I'm still very curious to see how they, how DraftKings rolls out these contests.
1: You don't want to late swap your Pittsburgh Maulers running backs <laughs> to get an advantage? No. Please know. Speaking of Pete, I think we should talk about a few players to watch, and hopefully these will get a little more sturdy as we go on. But I'm going to give full credit again. Cody Main over at ETR doing a great job. We had we loved having him on for the Pro Bowl. I really thought he added value to the show and gave people, myself and Pete included, a real chance to win money doing that. And some people I know did, actually. I think pretty much everybody was watching the show who played that slate ended up profiting based on the advice Cody gave. But Cody was tweeting out some stuff about the Pittsburgh Maulers and their coach Kirby Wilson, who's made clear that he wants to run the ball. And then they cut an XFL name that people will know, Davion Smith. And I would assume that they'll prune this guy off of the actual rosters for whenever DraftKings or FanDuel or whatever uh, puts out their stuff. But instead it's going to be Garrett Groschek, who Wisconsin fans may know as a bootleg Peyton Hillis type, I guess would be the best way to look at it. They called him Derry Sanders. But the guy that they signed instead of Davion Smith, Madre London, uh, did you see the tweet from, from Cody Pete? No, I'm behind on Cody main tweets. It's honestly, go check out C Main Seven if you want to get your XFL briefs real fast. Like I, I think you should read the ETR articles that'll come out. You should read the FO articles, all that. You just want to see the highlights. Go check out Cody's feed. Uh, so Madre London played in the Euro League for the Cologne Centurions. He averaged 218 rushing yards per game. That included multiple 300-yard rushing games. Which you want to talk about a workhorse, workhorse back, feed. That is definitely going to be one
0: Madre London. That's, uh, that's incredible. I, I always love, there's always some of those, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the player. He was, um, he went to Azusa Pacific, which is a school I know because it was in the same conference of like, uh, small California schools. We were in AI at the time. And he ended up um, landing, I think it was on the Bengals, but he had like an absurd, like average 275 rushing yards a game. It's always hilarious when these guys come from the small schools um, and then are just so much more talented than their competition that they just literally can't be stopped. Um, so yeah, okay, I just I just found that tweet from Cody. I could pull that up here. This is uh, this is pretty wild. 6'1", 220, uh, <laughs> running 1,120 more yards than the next closest rusher. So just like a massive talent gap there. And you talk about, you know, like football outsiders, like we're not going to have DVOA
1: for the USFL Cause you don't have the historical data to compare it to, but you're seeing there, like that's sort of telling you the story about him compared to what the league average would be, or even the top of the league, a thousand and yards more than the next guy. Like that's a gigantic gap. And this guy played at Tennessee too, in Michigan state, Madre London did. I like, I'm curious to see what the price point is on him. Cause he's being added late. Maybe there's some weird things with pass protection that doesn't get the full workload. I've never seen numbers like this besides like the old Derek Henry high school like clips that they break out. And this is a pro league. Like this isn't even like you're talking about where it's like small college ball, right? Like, it's, it's European league, but it's still like a pro league.
0: Yeah, we will see. We will see if it translates here. Uh, if there's a correlation to dominating, uh, European, uh, teams, who is the guy? Uh, I even have a piece of his merch. There was, do you remember the guy on the Vikings? He was German. It was, uh, uh, Bowringer, it was like Moritz Bowringer, do you remember him? Vaguely rings a bell but honestly not enough. He yeah, he he ended up on the Vikings and he just had like a really insane um like combine numbers. Um uh, Moritz Bowringer here. Yeah, he was a German pro- professional tight end. Uh he was drafted by the Vikings in the 6th round of the NFL draft and he was just such this, you know, anomaly of a of a guy who could come straight out of Germany uh, to be in the league, ultimately didn't pan out, but he was 6'5", uh, 250. And I think they drafted him at, actually as a wide receiver and not even as a as a tight end. Interesting. Yeah, so I mean, look, there's going to be a lot
1: of anomalies like that in this USFL season. Do you have anybody you want to offer up as a player to watch or do you want to save it for those sweet clicks you're going to be getting on your videos in the coming days?
0: No, I can, give, I can give a tease of, you know, some of the players that I think are interesting. I, I think the Philadelphia Stars... Um exactly they,
1: yeah, I that think was going. Yeah. gonna be the best QB in the league.
0: Yeah. And I was like, Brian Scott seems like he's gonna be solid, but then even then, they have Jordan Sewell, who's six six, uh, and runs a four five forty, which is pretty impressive, and then Brennan Eagles, who's six three, two, twenty and runs a four five five. So those are both like that's like a Mike Evans and you know, an old school, like Des Bryant type build in those two receivers. So It's hard to get that kind of size and speed. Obviously, they're in the USFL for a reason and not in the NFL. But that has me very intrigued uh, what they could do uh, with those weapons on the outside.
1: Well, I mean, you're talking about big bodied guys like anybody who played the XFL DFS before COVID shut that down. Cam Phillips was the dude who definitely was not fast enough, actually landed on a few NFL rosters after that as well. And he ran like a four five, 40 as well. But because he had a big body and just knew how to get into space, like he was a game breaker who had crazy big days there. And Brian Scott, very good. You know, if you watch, if you watch your Brian Scott game tape, very good at throwing the back shoulder as well. So I feel like that's the kind of play where if you have the big receivers guys who can get into space a little bit more. Brian Scott also also, I thought it was interesting uh, going through that again, that RJ Young podcast on Fox Sports. They were talking to all the XFL, all the USFL coaches, sadly not the XFL coaches, uh, but they were talking to him uh, to their head coach, the Philadelphia Stars head coach, Bart Andrews, saying that he believes Brian Scott will open a lot of eyes when he takes the field. And he compared him to Steve McNair. <laughs> he also compared him, granted, to less qualified players that he worked with, like Danny Werfel, Troy Smith, and Eric Crouch. But all guys who are good in college all kind of get outside the pocket and look downfield. I feel like Brian Scott, to me, like, Jordan Tamu, we're not going to talk about him, I think, in this list because enough people know him. He got NFL rosters for a pretty good reason after his XFL run. I feel like Brian Scott's the one name that people won't be on as much. And if he's you know 4K on a DFS slate, I feel like that's the kind of dude that could actually make a difference and maybe throw for like 300, 400 yards.
0: Yeah, here was another nugget I unearthed about Brian Scott. He once uh, beat out former NFL quarterback, you might remember, Zach Mettenberger, For a starting job in the spring league. So, I mean, this guy has already shown that he can beat out, you know, NFL level talent to be the quarterback. So, that's all I needed to hear about uh, Brian Scott. I'll also throw in a name here, another running
1: back for you. Of course, the splash play official team, the New Orleans Breakers, T.J. Logan, uh, recruited by Larry Fedora to UNC when he was there. Now he's on the same team as him. We do have another running back in that stable of Larry Rose, but T.J. Logan, a guy who ran for over 3,000 yards in high school, was a highly recruited prospect. Uh, I saw on the podcast with R.J. Young, Fedora was talking about uh, just how his ability just to get both in the rushing game as well as the passing game. And I feel like that's something that could benefit pretty well. So TJ Logan to me is another name to look out for uh, Pete, anybody else that you want to throw into the mix here that you feel confident enough to throw into the mix, I guess is the bigger question
0: GM shorty says hand in the dirt. USFL takes thin part of the sports here. Hey guys, um, we spent 20 minutes guessing, uh, what year certain photos were of Frank Gore from a, his career. So to answer your question, yes, GM Shorty, it is the thin part of the sports year. We thrive with the
1: That is what this show is about more than anything.
0: Yeah, but look, man, um, you know, when you're at the bar this weekend and your buddies are all talking about the USFL, we are equipping you with this knowledge to be a thought leader in this space. And so you might not think that this information is going to come in handy, but it will. And, uh, you'll be the stud of your friend group because of it. Um, you got anybody else? Cause I got one more guy I would throw out with some confidence. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, keep, I don't want to give up too much of mine. My my takes are going to be in, in my video. So you can, you can give out yours. I got to leave a little, little, uh, tease for the people.
1: All right. Well, fair enough. So I'll give one more guy. And of course we are going to dig in deeper next week. Hopefully get a little more news out. There will be the hope. Maybe it's some actual depth charts. We'll find out Houston gamblers. So a team uh, coached by Kevin Sumlin, a man who has had a lot of good spread offense throughout the college years. In this spot, Jojo Ward is the fastest guy on this team and might be one of the fastest guys in the league of 4440 time out of Hawaii. Our guy Brian Knowles on football outsiders pointed him out. And it jumped out to me because a, you know, spread offenses we know, that's actually what happened with uh the, the Houston Roughnecks offense back when they were in the XFL. They were a spread slash run and gun with Jude Jones similar principles of the Kevin Sumlin offense and Jojo Ward running out of the slot, a fast guy, a small guy too. They don't really have good outside receivers. So Jojo Ward, a powerful name, eight letters, Pete, and I think uh, could be the dude that actually could be a game breaker in a league like the USFL where you're just not going to have that back end speed you have in the NFL that, you know, it's make a guy like Jojo Ward completely unusable.
0: Yeah. um, And uh, they also have uh, Isaiah Zuber who uh, bounced around on the, uh, the Patriots for a little bit. So, Um, yeah. And I, I mean, that's the team I'm ultimately, um, most excited about. Um, well, actually I would say the bandits are probably the team just because of Tiamu, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I think I just want the gamblers to be good because they have the best name in the league.
1: I would say for me, like, I think Philadelphia is going to be the team to watch overall for passing offense, but I think stacking up Houston is going to have some appeal no matter what guys are there. Like, I think um, T.O. Redding's another guy who uh, played in the XFL, had one or two really good games for New York, and then kind of fell off for whatever reason. I think they just kind of went to other targets and also were really bad at QB play that year. Uh, but T.O. Redding's another guy that I think could have some value, but I think, you know, there's some offenses that are a little more predisposed to pass. Try to lean on those guys, and we'll hopefully know some of the chalkier running backs. I'm going to throw in one more player, a QB, who – Apparently could have the best shot to actually start out of all the the number two drafted QBs. Uh, Jamar Smith is a guy who played for Skip Holtz can run. Uh, Football Outsiders again believes that he has the best chance to be the second QB drafted you could start, and I think that's the, guy, the starter there is Alex Magou who actually was drafted by the Seahawks has a good pedigree but has shown some inability to pick up the the playbooks in the NFL level. Jamar Smith can run can g- give you that double tiered value where a lot of people look to Jordan Tamu for that stuff. Jamar Smith could be a guy that offers some value, and I think Pete, you know, we did this bit on the show, but Literally, I could say any other player name. Like, I can make up a name right now, complete creative player mode, and give a credible argument for it. And I feel like people would go like, "Oh, why is this guy not on the? <laughs> why is he not on the DFS slate?" And I think that's where we are at the USFL knowledge right now.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be the first the first week or so is gonna be a shit show, but it's gonna be a wonderful shit show. And uh, yeah, I can't
1: wait for it. And we will be there for it. And we're going to do some lineups on the show. We're going to give our picks. We're going to do ride or dies for the USFL. We are doing it all. the GM Shorty stuff, I think, closing us out pretty well. Spags and I will be at home with the kids, wondering why we know so much about Jojo Ward. Luca got his first WrestleMania. I'm excited for him to get his first USFL slate. I think this is an important run to be having a youth in your life.
0: Yeah. I mean, you what do they are? Uh, they say you always remember your first USFL slate. Um, um, and I wasn't old enough, you know, to enjoy the first round of USFL. Um, but I'm not going to miss this one. Our guy, Josh also said, are you guys going to be the thought leaders of doing the first
1: season long live on your show? I wish that we could do a USFL season long. Like I, you know, I was quietly hoping underdog would find a way to do a best ball for it. I would gladly be there. The issue was like, there's no software that exists that's doing it. And that's really the only limitation, Pete is our imagination.
0: Yeah. I'm sure that would have been, you know, we, we sometimes forget we are in a bubble as far as our appetite for some of this stuff. And, probably not the best use of underdogs time to spit up a database at a at a draft for usfl but who knows if the interest is there in this you know sport um you know continues to grow i think it. i really think if it weren't for the pandemic and weren't for the xfl having to shutter like i think This season would have been like a moment they could have built on their inaugural Mm -hmm. season last year's before it got canceled. And then heading into this year could have been really big, I think. Um, And now we kind of have to start from square one. So maybe in a year or two, uh, this spring league football will get to a point where the sites are willing to start to provide more of that. And
1: I would say if there were an underdog best ball league for USFL, Madre London's ADP is too low because of him <laughs> joining late in camp. If you have a guy who's running for literal video game numbers, pick him up and give him a shot would be uh, my suggestion there. But we will be digging more into this in coming weeks. Friday, of course, we'll be back on the underdog NFL best ball streets, do another super flex draft. I think we have some NFL draft content coming up as well on this channel, so make sure you are staying tuned. Of course, go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe, get FO plus in your life or just go check out some articles on the homepage. Again, lots of great stuff there. If you are a football fan and i presume you are watching this show uh make sure to go check out the stuff they're doing because it's just information accumulation in the offseason is a really underrated part i think of what it means to be profitable in football and just you know to give yourself the best like forward as the industry gets smarter year to year so go check stuff out on here keep watching what pete's doing keep watching the ship chasing the world as well uh, because a lot of great people doing interesting stuff around football even though the games are not going on pete any plugs for you here before we call it quits and come back on
0: friday at 2 30 eastern Nope. Uh, no plug. Just keep an eye out. I'll probably post the link to the that new channel in that video coming soon. Definitely will appreciate you guys uh, subscribing over there as well. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, I'll be subscribing
1: and liking, and I'll be following at Peter PeterRoverZet on Twitter to see when that comes out. You should, too. Make sure to follow at Chris Spags. Follow at Splash Play Pod as well. We're still following back everybody on there, so make sure if you want to get a free follower and you feel like you're a part of the community. I give people likes, too, because that's how much I care. So go follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Splash Play Pod. We'll be back Friday at 2.30, so enjoy your weeks, guys, and see you soon.